I'd be grateful if you uh, hang with me on this episode. It's different, but I didn't know how else to do it. I don't want to disrupt the trust we've built together. So let me know what you think at Andrew Jenks on social media or jenkspod.com. This is also our season finale. So after this episode, our producers, Dwayne Johnson, Danny Garcia, Brian Gewertz, and Cadence 13, as well as myself, have some exciting, I think, very exciting updates about the months to come. Dear Kanye West, I want to tell you a story. Maybe it can also lead to getting your take on something I think a lot about. It's a bit of a mystery. We've passed each other once or twice at some award shows. I usually just hide in the bathroom. I recently became more familiar with your work and your life. So I need to be upfront about that. I've studied you at this point, so I have a specific intention behind this letter. Listeners of this show and people in general have said, I should do an episode about you. We've done episodes on Ali, Jordan, Churchill, Spears, Princess Diana, and many others. People see what recently happened with you in the Oval Office or what happened back with you and Taylor Swift and ask, what is behind all of your antics? So thank you so much for giving me a chance to win a VMA award. Yo, Taylor, I'm really happy for you. I'm going to let you finish. But Beyonce had one of the best videos of all time. George Bush doesn't care about black people. Another photo, man. Don't take another fucking photo, man. But I've never really followed or cared about these antics, Kanye. My name is Andrew Jenks. I'm a documentary filmmaker. And like you, from what I understand, I think I'm the best, or at least one of the best, which I assume is pretty narcissistic or at least arrogant. What's astonishing is other people, some reviewers, people who appreciate my work, have said things like this to me, which makes me feel validated to think, to say, to believe I am a genius, that I'm the best. I sold a feature documentary to HBO when I was a teenager, Kanye. Maybe you remember it. It sucked when Bourdain passed away. That dude meant a lot to me. I won't be talking here in absolutes. I'll only be talking with empathy and curiosity. I reach out to you in a brotherly way. Luckily, for my personality anyway, documentary filmmakers don't get famous. I can see why you are, Kanye. 21 Grammy wins, 69 Grammy nominations. No other artist debuting after 2000 has managed to win more Grammys than you. In 2014, the Rolling Stone created a list of the 40 most groundbreaking pop music albums of all time. Among those included were albums from The Beatles, Miles Davis, Marvin Gaye, Bob Dylan, and you. Like you, Kanye, I've been diagnosed with bipolar disorder. I think of it more as depression or dysthymia. I'm 6'2", white, and love nobody else like my own mom. We have that in common, our love for our mothers. I didn't learn until recently that you spent a year in China when you were young. It's got to be pretty hard. It was for me. Belgium was a tough place for me, a fourth grader going through puberty who's like, 20 pounds overweight, and I didn't know how to move around in my own body. People from all over the world have an opinion about you. Pretty incredible, I can't imagine. Some people dissect every part of your life, your music, your fashion, your marriage, you name it. But one thing many don't discuss is your childhood. I hope you don't mind me publicly reaching out to sincerely ask about your childhood and what really happened from one bipolar depressive to another. I was watching video people took of you in Armenia when you were doing a free concert in a public park for what looked like a few thousand people. 
I assume you were in town because your wife was there the day before, bringing attention to the 1.5 million Armenians who were killed between 1915 and 1917. It's important work. At that free concert in Armenia, you're singing, and it's awesome. It is singing, right? I'm sensitive, and I think saying you're rapping is, I don't know, it feels like I'm being unappreciative of your body of work. But I couldn't believe what you did. You're singing, people are jumping, and then you just jump into that lake. And as you're about halfway in, you appear so vulnerable. What if someone came up and started attacking you? But it was all love. It's hard to forget you putting your arms out as fans come running towards you and begin hugging you. Soon, dozens, if not hundreds of people are hugging you. You had such a big smile. It made me smile. Call the following cliche, call it New York City white guy problems, call it whatever you want. I understand and maybe agree, but only a few weeks ago, I sat in my therapist's waiting room. I wasn't feeling very good. That happens. She's very smart, knows she's smart too, which is, I don't know. I just have a hunch you dig her, Kanye. She knows her music. As I waited, I wasn't scared, but I definitely was concerned. Only I knew that I had fallen for her, my therapist. I was really attracted to her. I couldn't help it anymore. I had to tell her. So I sat down in that seat. What's hard for me to wrap my head around is that she knows more about me than anyone else right now in my life. Twice a week for an hour is a lot. Kanye, I'm not even friends with her. I've known her for two and a half years, but... You don't become, or I shouldn't talk in absolutes, I think for therapy to work, she and I can't really become friends, as in, I'm not taking her out for a coffee or something. My voice started to shake. So, well, um, how do I say this? So, I have uh, romantic feelings for you. She didn't really move in her chair, make any face that suggested surprise, nothing. I couldn't in a million years tell you what she was thinking. She can make eye contact forever. There's actually an eye staring contest in Iceland if that sort of thing is of interest. But anyway, I just stared at her. A lot of times I can't. I just don't have the confidence. And I knew I had to tell her, Kanye. I had to. Your mom, Donda West, her book was really interesting. I thought your forward in her book was really sweet, really kind when you said, what stands out most about her is not only how she taught me, but her willingness to learn new things and that she listens to me. You continued, you have to be in touch with what your kids are doing. You have to be a part of them. I'm really sorry your mom died, Kanye. Anyone who's listened to Hey Mama, written before she passed, written before you were even famous, I think, knows how close you two were. I shouldn't say that. Nobody but you will ever really know. From my research, she sure lived an exceptional life. In 1958, along with the NAACP Youth Council, she took part in the first ever national sit-in to demonstrate the racist laws that said people of color couldn't use public accommodations. She got a bachelor's degree in English at Virginia Union University, a master's degree at Atlanta University, a doctorate degree in English education at Auburn University, she also studied at University of Oklahoma, New Delhi University in India, and Iowa State University. What was it like for you when you moved to Chicago when you were three years old? When mom got a job at Chicago State University? When I was six months, I moved to Kathmandu, Nepal, and 
Unless there's something in the subconscious, well, I assume there must be, I don't remember much. But for an artist like yourself, I don't know, I wonder what that was like. I don't know how different Atlanta and Chicago were around 1980, but your mom being a black woman some 40 years ago, that ascent to the apex at Chicago State University is a monumental achievement. Incredible, your mom went from a teaching assistant to associate professor to full professor of English to the elected chairwoman of the English and Speech Department. But while you can take the teacher out of the classroom, you can't take the classroom out of the teacher, right? Something like that. Your mom wanted to get back to teaching. Around this time is when she went to India. On that trip to Bombay, she met with Indira Gandhi, visited the Taj Mahal, and would wake up on the beaches near the Bay of Bengal. She was gone for just over two months. I wonder what those two months were like for you. Those two months she was away. And when she came back, she said, I bought more souvenirs for family and friends, but most of my purchases were for my son. The next time she'd leave for a full year to China, she sure as hell was not going to leave without you. I love that part in her book. If this isn't Dear Kanye, my fellow bipolar artist, then this recording is an ode to Donda West. Similar to my ode for Serena Williams' mom, Angela Merkel's mom, my mom, so many moms. You've said you are a soldier of culture. Would you agree our moms are soldiers who create a better way for the next generation, us, their children? I'm really close to my mom, Kanye. Since I was young, I'd go on long spurts of brutal depression, cry for a couple hours a day, and then I have to put on that energy to hide it, not let people know, not let people realize how that pain really fucking feels. I don't tell my mom as much anymore. I feel like I got to be the adult now. Road trips in the car were a big thing for my family. We went everywhere. Your mom remembered well that Greyhound the two of you took from Chicago to Oklahoma City when you were six years old, stopping at the zoo, or the time you two went to D.C., visited the Smithsonian, saw the White House, you were fascinated by the Space Museum. She said, we would have seen more, but money ran out before the fun did. But we'd seen and done a lot. You can't get that sort of education in a textbook, your mom continued. I'd say you can't find much in a textbook. I wonder what it was like to go to China when you were 10 years old. As an artist, I don't really care about the famous part, but as an artist, how does that impact somebody, your outlook on life? When I was in Nepal and saw children on their mother's back begging for food, I must have realized I shouldn't complain. My mom says I'd get pretty worked up about it. Life has been very good to me. Travel has taught me that. I should do something with the freedom, the health, the environment that I live in. But let's not talk about that for now, Kanye. Not yet. When I first moved out of the States as a kid, I missed very American things. I wonder why. When my dad took me to my first baseball game, we sat in the back and I didn't want to miss a thing. America's pastime live at Yankee Stadium. So I peed in my pants in the sixth inning, hoping I wouldn't miss anything. And then we just ended up having to leave early. Kanye, I am surprised, although it's not really my business, that in your music, I don't see much about this year in China. Maybe that's part of your storytelling. That's the playbook you have and get to explore whenever you want. In my opinion, and honestly, maybe this isn't my place, but it sounds like China had a huge impact on your life. You said once, I think being in China got me ready to be a celebrity because at that time, a lot of Chinese had never seen a black person. 
they would always come up and always stare at me, fishbowl me and everything. And that's kind of the way it is for me right now. It's actually what your mom said that had me thinking, man, I want to hug Kanye West. I was nine when my parents, my little brother, and I moved to Belgium in a tiny town called Hoylart. Your mom said about your travels, Kanye rode his bike to school every day, which was about six or eight blocks away from the campus. He was the only foreign kid in his class. Although he was 10 years old, he'd been put in first grade because of the language barrier. I thought it would be awkward for him, but he adjusted quickly. He learned math, some science, and especially the language, and for the most part got along well with the other kids. The teachers seemed to adore him. He was no doubt a novelty and the first black kid they'd seen in person. I was pretty annoyed that when the Chinese children would see Kanye, they'd yell, breakdance, breakdance. They didn't know much English, if any at all, but they knew breakdance. It was very stereotypical to me, but maybe the stereotype was based on the American culture as a whole, not just on Kanye being black. Still, I was annoyed. It should not have surprised me to learn one day that Kanye had been putting his breakdancing skills to use. He could spin on his head and everything. Fearing he might break his neck or something, I always forbade him to do it. One day as he approached me, I noticed he was eating a skewer of sheep meat. You could purchase it on the streets, and we'd long since gotten over our hesitancy about eating the meat, which had not been refrigerated, much less approved by the USDA. I had not given Kanye any money, though. I wondered how did he buy the sheep meat? He'd been charging the kids to see him breakdance. I was amused and not altogether happy about it at the same time. I discouraged his little capitalistic venture, but I never really checked up to see if he continued. As long as he'd leave out the spinning on his head part, I wasn't upset enough to put the fear of God in him about doing it. I never saw him with more skewers, though. Maybe he stopped. I was so big when I lived in Belgium, I didn't feel comfortable in my own body. I was kind of like a massive, cuddly bear, the gentle giant, they'd call me. Puberty will do that. I went to a school that took some getting used to. I once opened up my locker and was just so damn big I ripped the whole locker down. It fell on my forehead, blood spilling out. Several stitches later, I got a mark on the top of my forehead that still, some 20 plus years later, makes me look like Harry Potter when I wear glasses. I lose my glasses a lot, Kanye. Do you lose things often? You once said of the experience in China, my mother had to take me out and homeschool me because I couldn't speak the language. I wasn't excelling. That can throw a kid off slightly. That can throw a kid off slightly. Someone recently told me about kids who spend their time in other countries and that they can be more inclined to have quote-unquote issues. I thought, come on, we can't just find anything that happens in life and say, well, there it is, trauma that affected you. Another explanation for my or your depression or bipolar disorder. Kanye, you've talked about being bipolar. I think it's important for us to have conversations about, you know, open conversations about mental health, uh, especially with me being Black. Perhaps it got me to open up here today. First, what is being bipolar even mean? It's tricky since there's bipolar one and two. After studying this off and on for a while now, I also don't agree with a lot of the language they use, but nonetheless, the National Institute of Mental Health puts it pretty succinctly. Bipolar disorder, also known as manic depressive illness, is a brain disorder that causes unusual shifts in mood, 
energy, activity levels, and the ability to carry out day-to-day tasks. There are four basic types of bipolar disorder. All of them involve clear changes in mood, energy, and activity levels. These moods range from periods of extremely up, elated, and energized behavior known as manic episodes to very sad, down, or hopeless periods known as depressive episodes. Less severe manic periods are known as hypomanic episodes. What causes this? They say it's brain structure and functioning, genetics, and family history. But you're a curious guy, Kanye, so I read a bit more. There was a sociologist, Ruth Hill Useem, in the 1950s. She coined this term, third culture kids, TCK, children who spend meaningful portions of their childhood in places that are not their parents' homeland. So oftentimes it's kids with parents who are in the military, or maybe their parents are diplomats, or sometimes work just forces relocation abroad. My dad was in the United Nations. According to the BBC, for kids growing up abroad, quote, problems are more likely to emerge around the ages of 9 or 10, when friendships become more central to a child's identity, and especially during teenage years. You and I, we were both just about 10 years old, Kanye. My family, we weren't rich, but I mean, we were maybe middle upper class. I'd put it this way, we were totally good. And that's why I hold some sort of resentment for this TCK idea, because so many others have it so difficult. Lives full of upheaval and just trying to get by. The UN Refugee Agency reported last year that there's about 68.5 million forcibly displaced people worldwide, 25 million refugees alone. Nearly 45,000 people a day are forced to flee their homes because of conflict and persecution. If none of those 70 million people get therapy, I shouldn't, right? I first thought of TCK as a really fancy acronym for homeless rich kids, really. It turns out Pico Iyer actually already had said this. Literally, Kanye, the witty novelist, said TCK was essentially homeless for the rich kids. Does that have something to do with why you don't talk a lot about childhood? Ruth Van Recken wrote about what it's like when kids experience this change, saying, The grief of children is often invisible. They are told they will adapt. They are resilient. They are told they'll get over missing that friend, they'll get another pet, they'll have a nicer room in the new house. Their family is rushed, they don't have time to mourn their losses. Some mental health professionals call it trauma. Others call it an opportunity when you're young to expand your worldview. I'd bet it's somewhere in between. We are never so defenseless against suffering as when we love. Sigmund Freud said that. And while I disagree on some fronts with Freud... He did say his optimism, self-reliance, and other positive attributes were because of, yeah, you guessed it, a loving mother. I also did some reading, some additional reading for this letter, Kanye. Kay Redfield Jameson wrote a book in 1993 called Touched with Fire, Manic Depressive Illness and the Artistic Treatment. Her research showed the links between bipolar disorder and creative temperament and achievement. Jameson studied British poets between the years 1705 and 1805. Jameson found a rate of bipolar disorder 30 times greater in these poets than present in the general population. The DSM-5, which I've read a few times over and have some serious issues with, 
says to be diagnosed with hypomania, one must experience some of the following for four days. Inflated self-esteem or grandiosity, decreased need for sleep, flight of ideas or the subjective experience that thoughts are racing, easily distracted and attention deficit, the inability to follow through with complete tasks, even despite a conscious effort to do so, as similar to attention deficit hyperactivity disorder. Increase in psychomotor agitation or occasionally some increased irritability. Hypersexuality, involvement in pleasurable activities that may have a high potential for negative psychosocial or physical consequences, as in the person engages in unrestrained buying sprees, sexual indiscretions, reckless driving, physical and verbal conflicts, foolish business investments, quitting a job to pursue some grandiose goal. Some of these examples are exactly the behaviors I've experienced. There's a New York Times story I tracked down from 2005 titled, Hypomaniac? Absolutely, but oh, so productive. Benedict Carey writes, Though it's so often associated with professional accomplishment and bursts of creative and focused work, a hypomaniac's grandiosity sets the stage for a severe crash. For some, their fevered, scavenging curiosity may overwhelm any excess rumination. New projects beckon before the old ones can be mourned. Hypomania is a vigorous mind gone off the deep end. K. Redfield Jameson's work also found that hypomania, mild but not full-blown mania, can also involve heightened creative thinking and expansiveness, cognitive flexibility, and ability to make original connections between otherwise disparate ideas. Dr. Claudia Seegers adds that Jameson's work established that a number of speech components occur in individuals when hypomanic. They are more likely to use alliteration, to rhyme, to use idiosyncratic words, and engage in a playful use of language. When I first experienced my hypomania, it was exciting, until it wasn't. Thankfully, someone, a psychiatrist, told me what was happening, outlining all of this. I know of people where therapy works and really makes a good difference, and other people where it just doesn't work out for a variety of reasons. I also know people who've taken medication that's helped and others in which they've had bad experiences. For me, well, meds have saved my life and also almost killed me. The first time I had hypomania, it was a blast. It was a lot of meeting women, a lot of smoking. I don't know if I've ever had a more wild, more fun three or four days. The creative juices were nuts. I edited a video that six million people would go on to see, which for me isn't bad. I could go on for a while, but whatever. I ended up losing money. That sucked. Then I crashed. A new psychiatrist helped me big time after another psychiatrist I really think didn't do as much as he could have done in terms of preparing me for the repercussions of going on and off benzos. But maybe I should have studied more about that beforehand. I've had four seizures, Kanye. Stress-induced. I work too hard. But I think it was also those benzos, which, to be clear, has also saved me at times. But I didn't know how to take them the right way. Now I do, and now it's different. But I learned the hard way. After the first two seizures, I was put in a hospital. This was a few years back, so times have changed. But then, to see if I had epilepsy, they sleep-deprived me, gave me one meal a day, glued a few dozen wires to my head, which were snapped onto my bed, making it pretty hard to go anywhere, much less the bathroom. They then would come in every hour or two and flash a light. 
They were trying to induce a seizure. They were doing their best. I felt like I was in Clockwork Orange. What was it like for you when you were hospitalized? I'm so lucky that I have good health care. Waking up to that siren of the ambulance, I hope I can avoid that for a while. It's still hard for me when I hear French. French, which I didn't really learn but became familiar with while in Belgium, is what I heard before two of those four seizures. Someone talking in French. Sounds like bullshit, but that's what happened. And luckily, I have incredible parents, an incredible brother, and now a therapist to confide in, to find solace in. I know you have opinions on therapy. Anthony Bourdain said, Without experimentation, a willingness to ask questions and try new things, we shall surely become static, repetitive, and moribund. I know you talk a lot about being a genius. You know, I'm a creative genius, and there's no other way to word it. I'm standing up and I'm telling you I am Warhol. I am Shakespeare. You know, I'm a creative genius. I think the mental health issues, the seizures, the travel, the documentary work, the hundreds of thousands of hours of footage, the six movies, two TV shows, the book, the attachment deals, all made me feel like I had earned that term. Genius. Like you have to go through that misery secretly and that praise publicly to attain the status of genius. But I'm having second thoughts. A few weeks ago, while speaking about parachute sheets, I informed you of my time in the bed sack with a woman that I thought was the woman of my dreams, only to discover she wasn't into me. In fact, she had a girlfriend, so I really had no chance in the first place. Now, Brian Gewertz is the man behind so much of the magic here at the podcast. He's an executive producer of the show, along with The Rock and Danny Garcia and Cadence 13. And Brian had a few follow-up questions for me in regards to this bed sack miscommunication. So while I was busy working on an episode and wasn't paying total attention, he was asking some hard-hitting questions. You went on two dates with her. How did it not come up that she wasn't into men? He continued, could it have been an excuse? Did she see your apartment and think, nope, not seeing this guy? They were reasonable questions, but I wouldn't engage. However, before Brian left, he asked one final question. How about those sheets? Are those parachute sheets as good as you claimed? I looked up at Brian. My face got real serious, as if I was looking at Angela Merkel in the midst of a NATO crisis. Brian, I assume you enjoy some of the luxuries which come with being The Rock's producer and just a great and smart person. Brian's the coolest person ever. But let me tell you, and I'm not kidding, parachute sheets actually make me want to go to sleep. I've never felt sheets like this. There is nothing that really lets me know I'm home more than parachute sheets. And I lay down and I'm just like, oh, home. I've slept at luxury hotels while filming rock stars in Paris to passing out on cardboard on the streets of San Francisco while documenting the homeless. And I can say I've slept on all different forms and styles of sheets from all over the world, and you really wouldn't believe it, that parachute sheets are the best. And right now, you can get a hell of a deal. Visit ParachuteHome.com slash WRH for free shipping and returns on Parachute's premium quality ultra-soft bedding and bath linens. They offer a 90-day trial, so if you don't love your new stuff, Just send it back. So remember, visit ParachuteHome.com slash WRH, as in what really happened, for free shipping and returns on Parachute's premium quality, ultra-soft bedding, and bath linens.
Stories of rejection from women is sold separately. Freud said, the madman is a dreamer awake. He might be right, but I'm not so sure. I hope that the days of glamorizing and romanticizing the quote-unquote mad scientist or the crazed artist are over. It's not worth lives lost. I don't think anyone should be sacrificing their health. I disagree. I find it offensive when people say that Morrison, Joplin, or Winehouse, or any artist who died young almost had to in order to sacrifice for the greater good, to give their art to the world. These artists had families or people to take care of. There's nothing cool about being mad or going mad. There's nothing endearing about being coined crazy. The 27 Club, after all, is a manufactured, shitty term. I kept reading about this concept of a genius. I read this book a year or so ago titled A First-Rate Madness, uncovering the links between leadership and mental illness. It suggests that so many of the greats have a mental illness. Its description on Amazon, where it has a lot of very good reviews, says, This New York Times bestseller is a myth-shattering exploration of the powerful connections between mental illness and leadership. Historians have long puzzled over the apparent mental instability of great and terrible leaders alike, Napoleon, Lincoln, Churchill, and others. In the book, A First-Rate Madness, written by the director of the Mood Disorders Program at Tufts Medical Center, offers and sets forth a controversial, compelling thesis. The very qualities that mark those with mood disorders also make for the best leaders in times of crisis. When first reading it, this made me feel so good. It made me think of the hospital beds, the inability to sleep, the addiction to pot. Yes, you can get addicted to pot. The nightmares were all worth it. If Napoleon, Lincoln, JFK had a first-rate madness, this is great news. But as I read, I got kind of annoyed, Kanye. I think it kind of suggests that to be somebody big, you got to go mad. We romanticize. T.S. Eliot said, The progress of an artist is a continual self-sacrifice, a continual extinction of personality. But I'm not so sure. Margaret Deland said, Self-sacrifice, which denies common sense, isn't a virtue. It's a spiritual dissipation. And I don't want to see you dissipate. I don't want to see anyone be abandoned. I don't want to box you in as only one thing, as a genius. Why be a genius of all things? Sir Joshua Reynolds, a painter well-known for his portraits, would have painted something special if he could have looked at you, Kanye. The late 18th century artist was on it like nobody's business. He was the founder and first president of the Royal Academy of Arts and was knighted by George III. As author John Woodward said, Sir Joshua Reynolds dominated English artistic life in the middle and late 18th century. Sir Reynolds wrote Discourses on Art. He said, The highest ambition of every artist is to be thought a man of genius. Writer William Hallett's added this in 1826. Whether a genius is conscious of its powers, no really great man ever thought himself so. He who comes to his own idea of greatness must always have had a very low standard of it in his mind. John Woodward goes on to note that Picasso, for instance, said, When I'm alone with myself, I cannot regard myself as an artist, in the strict sense of the word. The great painters were Giotto, Rembrandt, and Goya. 
I think all of that is well put. Kanye, have you read A Portrait of the Artist as a Young Man? It's James Joyce's first novel, and I think you dig it. You also talk about how your mental health helps you become Superman. And this is where the nuance comes. Because for me, it's not right to say you have to be ill to be a genius. But it's perfectly fair to say you will use illness to be great. For me, I think if I'm in a healthy space mentally, I'm able to use that depression or bipolar disorder, whatever it is, to my advantage. I actually think calling it a mental illness is a bad idea. Call me overly sensitive or part of a generation that's too politically correct. I just think society may have it wrong, Kanye. One of my good friends, Chad, has autism. And I see all the time he's able to hear certain things that nobody else can or pick up and comprehend on different items that gets lost on others. He's not on what people used to call the Asperger's syndrome, but I think we should look at people with autism not necessarily as disabled. I'd suggest, if anything, our technology is disabled. Think of the kids who suddenly have an iPad in front of them, kids who haven't talked in years since birth, and then they use an iPad and suddenly they're able to communicate. I'm wrong. It's actually not that they now are able to communicate. They always could. We just didn't know. So what else don't we know? But an iPad or other technologies out there don't seem to do the trick for Chad. Kanye, he doesn't even have a job, but he should. He's in his late 20s. He's funny. And you know what? He should be afforded at least the opportunity to be his own Superman. You say your mental health is your genius, Kanye. Could it be your childhood? So I was staring at my therapist. What would she say? I had researched quite a bit about what you do if you develop feelings for your therapist. As it turns out, what I was experiencing isn't all that abnormal. It actually has a word, transference. In fact, some suggest if you do have feelings, it's important to say something. Now, transference can mean a few things. The more classic use, says Dr. Ryan Hose, comes from psychoanalysis and includes the redirection of feelings and desires, and especially of those unconsciously retained from childhood toward a new object, in this case, the therapist. But Kanye, few people in my life have ever understood what I meant when I say I'm depressed or that I have bipolar disorder. And so when I sit down with my therapist, who really listens to every word I say, it's actually not so surprising I find myself falling for her. Said Dr. Hose, the desire to connect with a caring person in a meaningful way is completely valid. What's the problem with transference? Rather than connecting with the person, we're relating to a template, which may be quite different from the flesh and blood in front of us. You're treating Jane Doe like she's your mother or your grade school rival or an idealized object of desire when she's actually none of the above. She's Jane Doe. Kanye, when you were interviewed by Charlemagne, you said... Yeah. Did you go to therapy at all? Because I feel like this is a lot to unpack. And I'm sure you're the go-to guy for a lot of people. So it's like, who does the go-to guy go to? So I'm sure you had to go to some therapy or something. Nah, I, I use the world as my therapy, as my, mm. as my therapist. Anyone I talk to is my therapist. Mm -hmm. I will pull them into the conversation of what I'm feeling at that point and get their perspective. Sometimes they'll be like, damn, I'm talking to yay. I'm not expecting to talk about this. Mm -hmm. Anybody that I'm around, I, and I put that as advice to people. It's like, use people around you mm -hmm. as your therapist. Because they probably know more about you. Like a therapist is like, does a crash course in yay, and then comes and it's like, want to give you, you know, some advice. 
So if your therapist is people, I wonder how that works. I'm not saying it's wrong in the slightest. I just can't imagine what it's like for you. I was falling for a woman, romantically, who I hardly even knew. My therapist and I discussed this. I'm attracted to a part of her, a version of her, a very incredibly narrow understanding of who she even is. But you're relying on the public, Kanye, which must be deceiving. Because fans can come and go. I mean, are they objective? Are critics objective? Are family and friends objective? They sure can be, but not always. I assume fans validate a lot of what you say. They literally nod their heads to your music. Then it happened. That Oval Office visit with Trump. I hadn't realized the stir it caused. I've been studying the last few months on John II of France, Buffalo Calf Roadwoman, Steve Jobs' acid use, Serena Williams, Dave Chappelle, and these quote-unquote sonic attacks in Cuba, so I don't follow every day's breaking news. Ultimately, when I did start watching you talk with the president at the White House, I had to turn it off after 20 seconds, maybe 30. Because for me, as someone who's experienced manic episodes, that certainly seemed like what you were going through. Unlike other podcast episodes on our show, I don't have the facts to back up what I believe happened. I only have my experiences, and what happened that day just looks like one. But I don't judge manic episodes. I don't point my finger and yell. I wish I could hug you. I've swallowed a lot of pills, but a hug can go a long way, Kanye. Maybe there's a subconscious element in which you need to tell people you're hurting, which means you need a stage. And I don't blame you. I used to throw things around my room like a tyrant so somebody would come in and check on me. For you, maybe it means you have to go to the White House because you are Kanye West. I can't imagine what that's like. Some of us have a stage that is a mirror in the bathroom. Some of us have a platform to speak in front of family and friends, others in a therapist's office or maybe AA, all sorts of forums or settings. For you, it's the Oval Office with dozens of photographers. That's incredible in the literal sense of the word, like it's almost not credible. And I have to say, I was pissed, really pissed at the media when you were in the Oval Office with the president. Like I said, Kanye, I watched 20, maybe 30 seconds of it around the time it happened, and I had to turn it off. I wasn't going to take part in exploiting what I felt was somebody's mania. That wasn't newsworthy, and it shouldn't become entertainment. I'm obviously not a doctor, but I think it's dangerous not to call something for what it is. Otherwise, it continues undetected. I wonder, Kanye, why weren't any of the media asking you about your time in China? Why were they even there? Because you're a culture warrior? Were they exploiting you? Or are you exploiting yourself? But what got me upset was when I forced myself to watch a little bit more and the president made a quick remark that it was impressive, this performance of yours. I'll tell you what, that was pretty impressive. (laughs) It wasn't necessarily what he said that got me pissed, but instead, that reaction. (laughs) When the media all laughed, and they were mocking you. And that is like mocking any person dealing with health issues and doing it right in front of their face. One day, people will watch this and realize how twisted it was. Can you imagine the president saying this about a person going through potential life and death issues And then the press laughing. And then, and then some news organizations started calling you crazy. And they are calling you crazy? 
Dave Chappelle said it best years ago on James Lipton's show. The worst thing to call somebody is crazy, is dismissive. I don't understand this person, so they're crazy. That's bullshit. These people are not crazy. They're strong people. Maybe the environment is a little sick. Kanye, maybe you know this, but I think many people think of you as a fictional character. I, too, at times forget. I hope this letter isn't an example of that, but people will talk about you like they talk about somebody who doesn't actually exist. It's like Harry Potter. And when people feel like they're talking about someone who doesn't exist, you likely get treated like somebody nobody cares about. I think it's unfortunate talented artists like yourself are expected to be role models. Artists are artists, their work should really do the talking, but that's a paradigm shift and not for now. I think part of stigmatizing a guy like you is not understanding your childhood. So that's why I wrote this letter. And rather than send it in the mail or something, I opted to do it here because it's not just you. We misunderstand people with mental health issues all the time. I'm still understanding myself in case that hasn't already been made clear. Last year, we did an episode on Britney Spears and the issues she faced over 10 years ago. During the episode, I questioned why we give such attention to celebrities. Why do we care? Instead of Kanye West, why not have cameras in the Oval Office while, I don't know, a fourth grade teacher comes and talks to the president about education? Luckily, I have reaction episodes to get feedback, giving listeners the chance to call me out for things they disagree with. And one person, Seth, called me out on this. Towards the end of the episode, you say something to the effect of what metric does the media use that we use to judge success? Why don't we more often say, look at this fourth grade teacher and how successful she is? Well, you're not doing any podcasts on fourth grade teachers. I just find it a little odd, you know, that you would somehow criticize the media and and, and the public uh, for this hero worship when, in effect, your podcast is doing the same thing. And he's right. I can't blame the media covering celebrities when my podcast focuses mainly on public figures. Even John II of France was a public figure, I suppose. What I took away from Seth's constructive criticism, if I'm going to talk about celebrities, it'll be in a meaningful way. Kanye, I don't know when you started to get a sense that something maybe was different, that you are bipolar. I started to get certain feelings in middle school, a sense of profound sadness, a tendency to cry. I read more from your mom's book, particularly about the traveling you two did. She wrote, Once, Kanye and I literally took the slow boat from Canton to Hong Kong, where we'd spend two weeks before going on to visit Thailand. In Hong Kong, we stayed in what became known as the Slum King Mansion. The bath was down the hall, and the room was definitely no frills. The cost was 11 U.S. dollars a night, if that tells you anything. When we got to Thailand, we visited Bangkok first. Kanye went straight along to the red light district with me. From there, it was on to Koh Samui. The beaches there are some of the most beautiful in the world. I was totally embarrassed, though, when one of the professors, also a Catholic priest, asked Kanye what was the favorite part of his holiday, and Kanye answered, the nude beaches in Thailand. She continued, I talked with Kanye about everything. There was no topic that was off limits, not even sex. When he was 12, that conversation came up, 
it was my time to carpool, and Kanye was in the car along with two of his friends. Jocelyn Elders came on the radio, and as I remembered, she was talking about the rise of teenage pregnancy. That's when I told Kanye and his friends that masturbation was a far better alternative to having sex at such a young age. I told them it was perfectly healthy, normal, and gratifying, and that they did not have to participate in sex with another partner and risk some young lady getting pregnant or contracting a venereal disease, not the least of which was AIDS. They said nothing. They just sat there anxious for us to get to school, I'm sure, so they could get out of the car. I found out later my words had sunk in because Kanye told me so. You and her, that was a team. And she believed in you. She said, we were coming back from a short vacation in Michigan when he was five, and he composed a poem in the back seat. The one line that sticks with me is when he wrote, the trees are melting black. It was late fall and the trees had no leaves. He saw how those limbs were etched against the sky, and he described them the way a poet would. Right now, people are pissed at you, Kanye. You said slavery was a choice. You said some things that were really offensive. But now is not the time to turn our back on you. Now is not the time to turn our back on anyone with mental health problems. Some say you use it as an excuse, and while I get their point, I don't agree. But I do think we can all spend more time getting to know each other. I'm happy I learned about your childhood and your incredible mom. And hopefully, we can continue to grow by looking honestly at ourselves and empathetically towards others and dare to ask what really happened. That was our season two finale, sort of. In many ways, we're just beginning. It's now your turn, the listeners. Starting on February 13th, the day before Valentine's Day, we'll begin our reaction episodes. You can call in or email us and talk with me about items I missed or facts I got wrong, parts to a story you think are worth adding. It's all on the table. We'll also talk about reoccurring themes from season two. So please reach out. Just go to jenkspod.com slash contributors or, and get a pen out here, you can always call 347-674-6980 or I'm on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Andrew Jenks. After our reaction episodes, I'll have another exciting update, but one thing at a time. For now, make sure you go to jenkspod.com slash contributors. I want to thank everyone on our team, and that includes Brian Gewertz at Seven Bucks Productions, as well as Dwayne The Rock Johnson and Danny Garcia, in addition to Frankie Cappuccino for their incredible and supportive work, as well as everyone at Cadence 13, the incredible Cadence 13, Corcoran, Flannery, Skinny Bill, Alex the Rookie, Shelby Late Nights, Count Button Up, McDermott, Bradley Ball, Sean Cherry, Lucas, Lou, Kurt, Sage, Hillary, Josephina, Pam, Matt, Kara at Sunshine Sacks, and truly everyone here on the 11th and 13th floor, all of you, I am really, really grateful for.